Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the science of success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than 4 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this interview, we show you how to grow a business with no capital, no product, and no service. You will discover how to train yourself to spot outrageous business opportunities that are surrounding you in everyday life and will give you the strategies for building trust with your ideal clients and business partners. We ask, what does it take to become great? In your career, job, business, parenting, relationships, and more, we look at exactly how you can achieve greatness in all of the key areas of your life. We discuss this and much more with our guest, the legendary Jay Abraham. I was recently closing a big software deal, and I was thinking about how the lessons and themes from the science of success have been so valuable to me as an investor and business owner. I realized that I'm leaving a lot of value that I could be creating for you, the listeners, on the table. I believe that many of the things that we teach on the science of success are some of the biggest and most important business success factors today. To that end, we're launching a new science of success segment focused on business. These episodes will air every other Tuesday and will not interrupt your regularly scheduled science of success programming. Everything we teach on the show can be applied to achieving success in your business life. And now we're going to show you how to do that along with some interviews of the world's top business experts. So with that, I hope you enjoy this business focused episode of the science of success. Are you a fan of the show? And have you been enjoying the content that we put together for you? If you have, I would love it if you signed up for our email list. We have some amazing content on there along with a really great free course that we put a ton of time into called How to Create Time for What Matters Most in Your Life. If that sounds exciting and interesting and you want a bunch of other free goodies and giveaways along with that, just go to successpodcast.com. You can sign up right on the homepage. That's successpodcast.com. Or if you're on your phone right now, all you have to do is text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number four four. In our previous episode, we had one of the absolute living legends of psychology on the show. We discussed the greatest unanswered questions in psychology, the biggest thing people misunderstand about flow, what advice young people can take away from our previous guest's incredible career, and what he thinks the absolute biggest takeaways from his own research about flow. All of this and much more with our previous guest, Mihai Chinksetmihai. If you want to learn about flow from the researcher who pioneered the entire field, listen to our previous episode. Now for our interview with Jay. Please note, 
This episode contains profanity. Today, we have another legendary guest on the show, Jay Abraham. Jay is the founder and CEO of the Abraham Group and is recognized as one of the world's most successful marketing strategists, business innovators, entrepreneurial advisors, and masters of revenue acceleration. He spent the last 30 plus years solving problems and significantly increasing the bottom line of over 10,000 clients in more than 400 industries worldwide. Jay, welcome to the Science of Success. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, we're super excited to have you on the show today. Um, I'm a huge fan of you and your work, and I can't wait to dig into some of the key themes and ideas from your massive body of work and success. Okay, let's go at it, Ben. One of the most fascinating things to me about you is your ability to think laterally and approach problems from a completely different perspective than most people. I want to start with a big question, but it's a question that in many ways your work has addressed in many different ways, which is this idea of how does somebody grow a business if they don't have any money or they don't have any resources or they don't have any customers and they feel stuck or they feel like they can't get to the next level because of a lack of, you know, X? That's a great question. It's certainly a broad one. So I'll give you a spectrum of answers. Okay. There's going to be three scenarios. You know what you want to do, but you don't really have product service or capital. The way to do it is through strategies that the macro we call is just mining, monetizing, maximizing, managing other people's relational capital. But what it means is if you are very, very pragmatic, you can identify that whatever your problem is, whatever your resource impediments is, someone else in some other business or in the same intended business has what you want and you can basically identify that your ability to achieve that could actually be the fulfillment of a problem or an opportunity that that other person doesn't have. For example, you might say, I've got a product, but I have no distribution and I want to reach uh, heads of IT departments at, doesn't matter the kind of industry, pick an industry. And you can find people who've already sold products or services to that decision maker who have nothing else to sell, but spend an enormous amount of time building goodwill, trust, the relationship. If you show them that they have a sunk cost in that relationship, and then you are able to demonstrate proof to them the value, the qualitativeness, the performance capability of your product or service, you go to them and you ask them to either introduce or outright sell that product to you. If you needed an office that you didn't have in a city and you had no money, you find somebody else that sells to a similar target audience who has underutilized capacity and you make a deal to sub-office with them. We've done this with trade show booths. We've done this with skill sets. We've done this with people who had advertising capability. We've done this with platforms. We've done this with media. That is one way to do it. Another way to do it, which I did one time and we made someone like a million and a half dollars in six months, is you go to some of the more popular categoric areas of search. You don't go to the first page. You go to the second or third and down and you start finding what I call arbitrage. You find somebody who's got a book, but he or she doesn't have a seminar. You find somebody who has a seminar, but doesn't have a book. You find somebody who has a book and or a seminar, but doesn't have coaching. You tie all that up, you put it all together, you take a piece of that. That's another way. Another way is you find somebody very successful in a category that does not have the desire to expand nationally or internationally, and you set an arrangement where they let you use basically their IT for either a royalty or for a percentage. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on. We have a whole book that is called How to Get the Money for Your Great Idea or Startup and What to Do if You Can't. And it goes through all the alternatives to capital. But capital impairment is not a reason you shouldn't grow. There's always going to be somebody. Also, you can go to people that have a business and they have a product or service line, but they do not have certain products or services that are natural purchases by that same target audience before 
during or after that person buys from them. Go to them and say, I want to create that kind of a business addition and I will operate it through your business. You will market it because you've already got the clientele and we will split whatever way you want. I can go on and on and on, but there's a multitude of ways you can do it. And if you have a product or a service and it has been validated, but you want to grow more, first thing that you do is identify what I call strategic investors, people who would benefit more by you being more successful than even you. It could be a product service that would be purchased right after, during, or it could be a company that if you got large enough, they would like to absorb you. You then figure out how to demonstrate to them predictable, expanded demand. We do that sometimes. I had a, a consult, an accidental consult the other day. A gentleman has got a technology using very complex LIDAR uh, technology to identify snow in the mountains and extrapolate what that will mean in the spring and summer to water, to the water management companies. And he's trying to raise $6 million, but he doesn't know how. And I explained to him that the easiest way to raise money is to go to 100 or 200 water management, I guess, directors, show them what you can do, show them what it can mean, demonstrate and correlate the value, either savings time, predictability, budgetary advantage, and get them to give you what is called a contingent purchase order, meaning that if you can do this by such and such a time at such and such a price, and it will prove it can do such and such an outcome, we will buy it. And if you have 50 or 100 of those, it's a lot easier to get investor money. I can go on and on, but there's a couple. Those are great. And I want to drill down on the first example or one of the most basic examples of this idea of relational capital. The Let's say, well, let's go with what you said. Let's say I have a product or service. I'm selling it to IT managers. So I go and approach people who are selling to IT managers already, but selling something that's a complementary related product to mine. How do I go about building trust with those people, convincing them, hey, you should introduce my product to your client and kind of insert me into your client relationship? Well, trust is created many ways. First of all, from a clinical standpoint, and I'll be happy to provide you with some of this if you want to share it with your, your audience. There are experts in soft skills. Stephen M. R. Covey, the son of Stephen R. Covey, is the preeminent leader and, the, and the master at business trust building. There's 13 characteristics that if you can incorporate those into your being, they give you something like 300% more probability of success. So the first thing I'd say is integrate all the characteristics of trust building authentically into your being. That's one. Number two is proof, demonstration, and preemptive overcoming of predictable concerns is the second way. So you've got to prove, first of all, that your product or service performs. Second, you've got to be able to denominate what that performance should look like and how that performance is measurably, either tangibly or intangibly, superior to what's out there. Third, you've got to show that that performance has some kind of either economic value and profit enhancement, productive value and either more effectiveness or more, more savings, reduced personnel, more reliability. So you got to be able to do that first. Second, nobody wants to be the first in. So you've got to find two or three companies that are willing or organizations, depending on the product or service, willing to basically be your experimental guinea pigs. You've got to basically invest in them. Usually if you can get an investor and ask he, him or her just to fund the pilot applications, what I normally do is get the guinea pig beta testers some kind of a participatory bonus. If it works and they are authentic and not inaccurate, as long as they're not manipulative and scamming, if it works and they will be our validators, our testimonials, we give them either a, and, and it's fully disclosed, we give them either a percentage of the revenue, equity, some consideration or services for three years gratis, something that is worthwhile to them, but not covert. That's another way to do it. You can 
I mean, I always believe that the best way to get somebody passionately and what's the word I want to use? Unhedgingly, you know, strongly behind your product, your service, your business proposition is to prove to them it performs. Many people don't really grasp that, but you know, Damon John, who I've done stuff with, wrote a book and it was called The Power of Broke. And he was talking about how when people come to him trying to uh, you know, talk about garments they want to put to market, he says, take it to a flea market, take it to, you know, open your trunk, you know, in a shopping center uh, mall parking lot, see if people will buy it just as it is. If they won't buy it there, they're not going to buy it anywhere. But prove to yourself, first of all, a lot of people don't understand. They get all excited about a concept that the market isn't excited about. And I always recommend before you expend an enormous amount of energy, time, opportunity cost, your own or others' capital, try to get some true validation. And validation is of two kinds. If you ask people, it's, you know, the idea of a, uh, what do they call it when you go and you, and you query a group? My brain has got a gap right now. A Market uh, testing or market surveys. Sure, it's a word for it. But when they tell you they like it or don't like it, that isn't necessarily a truism because they aren't being asked to vote with their credit cards or their checkbooks or their purchase orders. The only vote that counts is if somebody's willing to commit. The only truth that counts is if the product or service is able to perform. Performance is a very relative concept. To some people, performance is a great feeling. To some people, it's how they look. To some people, it's just the knowledge that you've got the top of the line, even if it doesn't have, you know, I'm not sure that a Mercedes at 50 grand outperforms a different car that's not as prestigious at 50 grand, but there's certain value in it. You have to know and you have to validate before you make a huge commitment that you can't take back. Because if you blow the commitment, you blow your trust with investors, you blow your trust with industry, you blow your own self-esteem unless you have very, very, very strong character and belief. So I always believe in proving before you try to expand. And it's a little slower, but the power of having documented evidence, the power of having contingent commitments, the power of having a partner who's willing to try it if another investor will at least fund the, you know, the beta version, the, the, the ability to quantify what its performance or benefit or savings or attributes are gives you a lot stronger advantage than just theoretical excitement about the product or service. I don't know if that helps or not. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And I want to dig down a little bit more about this concept of validation. What are some of the ways that you validate or experiment or test ideas and how do you do that without spending a huge amount of time, energy, or money? Well, legalities, you have to check out because they've changed. It used to be you could dry test, and I think you still can do a variation of it, where you can literally go to a market with some kind of a, an offering. It can be online, offline, and just describe what it is, describe what it does, describe how it does it, describe the implication, describe when it'll be ready, and ask for expressions of interest, that's first stage. When you get the, if you don't get any, that's probably a tell, don't you think? If you get them, then you have to explain to them and you can incorporate in your first stage communication, the kind of pricing and performance, or you can wait. And then you basically explain, and then you try to go from that to a contingent commitment to either purchase it when it's available, to test it for you and apply it as a pilot if it's available or to even, if it's really that promising, to co-fund it for you, for them, with the understanding that they will get a share of future sales outside if that's applicable. That's one way to do it. By the way, people don't realize this. I do work with one of the big contracting companies to the Navy uh, War College and there are an enormous amount of technological IP that's available for licensing that's out there. And I'm sure every category of government and 
you know, Jet Propulsion Laboratories have it. Somebody we know from Livermore Laboratory licensed something. I mean, there's so much out there. And also, you can model anything anybody does and say, okay, is there a parallel universe that would apply to that's not competitive? And if the answer is yes, you can go to that company and say, I would like to take everything you do and translate it to X industry. It's not competitive at all, but I think I could create you know, a meaningful business or cash flow from it, and I will share with you on X type of... So, I mean, when people are stymied, the reason they are stymied is not their fault. I have a very wonderful privilege. I've been involved in over a thousand industries and an incalculable number, Matt, of scenarios, strategies, business models, business challenges, competitive advantage creation, value added, ancillary business, repurposing, lead generating, sourcing, positioning advantage, ancillary income. And when you have the kind of a broader swath of comprehension of maybe maybe not all, but of, let's say, quantum times more of what's possible. The idea of being frustrated or seemingly impaired or not being able to do something or thinking I don't have an idea or I don't have a product or I don't have the skill or I don't have the money. The other thing is there's always out there the relative skill sets that you need. We did years ago a training program on how to be a contingent marketing consultant. And we identified the three or four categories. One are the people who are able to sell the concept to the entrepreneur, business owner, professional media organization. The other is the ability to basically deliver it. The other is the ability to just sort of manage it. And we said there are those types everywhere. There are salespeople out there who would love to own an equity in a business, but they don't A, have the capital, nor do they have the mental construct. There are people who are really good operators who would never be able to sell anything and they'd love to be in business, but they can't sell. If you find these kind of people and you put them together and you start part-time so that you don't jeopardize anybody's security, and I always believe that the first thing you do is never put anything and anyone at risk until you validate it. Some people jump right in, and I think that's admirable, but I think it's very wise to try to at least get some validation of assumptions. But I'm just saying it's infinite. It's I mean, it's Jesus. there's just so many things you can do. Tell me a little bit more about this idea of JVing, power partnering, et cetera, for a skill set or a capacity, and maybe some examples of people who've done that in the past. Well, let's take a look at a typical business that is operating, but not op- it's stuck, okay? They could be stuck with lack of knowledge. They don't know how to market well. They don't know online. They don't have good technology. They don't have systems. They don't have maybe good production, they don't have good channel management, they don't have good distribution control. All of those are skill sets that people sell, right? Consultants, experts, advisors. Most of them sell it by either the hour or the monthly fee or project. But what people don't realize is that in any category of expertise, there are people like myself, and I'm very expensive, and there are people that are, let's say, ordinary general experts, and they're fairly priced, but it's very rare that everyone is fully utilized, that everyone has every hour of their time consumed. If you identify not one, but maybe 15, and you go to them down the line and say, I have this challenge, and if we can quantify what your contribution can mean to it, either an increased revenue, savings, productivity, any denomination that can be converted to me paying you, I will pay you X for Y amount of time in exchange for you investing your expertise. Now you've turned a fixed expense to a variable, right? Yeah, that's great. And we do it all the time. We have a concept that I call the unlimited business checkbook. And the concept is within about 90% of the categories of impairment, resource impairment, economic impairment, IP impairment, capital, and there's many derivatives of capital, human, relational, intellectual impairment. You can overcome almost all that with a strategic alliance, with a power partnering, with a relational capital move or maneuver. 
And then there's a whole nother side of it. It's control. It's getting access, uh, having access to people's assets. In other words, you might find that you get access to somebody's buyers and then you could do it with lots of those somebodies in the same field all over and you can have a back end or a front end. Just an example yeah, that's fascinating and it's a very simple one. In the home improvement business, people don't realize it. And I don't know, you have a home, right? You have a house? I do. And have you done any improvement to it? I have. Okay. Typically, not always, but there's a very high statistical probability, Matt. If you're going to improve a function or factor in your home, normally the first one is a kitchen because that's a focal. If you're going to do a kitchen, once that kitchen is transformed and looks majestic, you start contrasting that to the rest of the house and you go, oh, crap, I got to fix the bathrooms. Then I got to fix the paint. Then I got to replace the carpets or the floors. Then I got to maybe replace the doors or the windows. Then maybe the roof, maybe the garage door, maybe the landscaping. Maybe now, oh, crap, maybe I should do some stonework and put either a fireplace or a really nice patio or a pool, but there's a progression and it doesn't go that expansive, but almost anybody I've ever looked at, there's one or two gradients. So if you can strike an arrangement with any ethical, any ethical home improvement company that does one vertical thing, and they will share with you, not just their buyers, but their non-buyers, the statistical probability of that group of prospective sources being worth a fortune to you is very high. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, it's just tons. I mean, I, I've been very blessed to see correlations, implications, anomalies, you know, I've been able to extrapolate, to see all these things. I'll tell you some fun stories, and these are derivatives of this, but they're very cool. So probably the most interesting thing that I ever heard of, I thought it was very cool. There was a man about 20 years ago who loved Porsche automobiles, but he couldn't afford to even buy one, but he loved them. And he found out that a small Porsche dealer was becoming available for purchase in Northern California. And out of curiosity, he applied to get the, you know, the paperwork and review it. And upon reviewing, he saw that there was a stipulation in the dealer agreement that a dealer could make a brand new Porsche available for trial use for up to, I think it was three months and 3,000 miles, and it could still be licensed as new. It was a demo. You know what a demo is, right? Yep. And with that piece of information, he got a wild idea, and he ran ads all over Northern California that said, drive a brand new Porsche every year for life for a one-time $75,000 investment. And he got about, it cost, I think it was a million dollars he needed for the dealership but he got two million plus from people who came in because he was able to make these Porsches available to them. And two things happened. They became his greatest uh, referral sources. Half of them didn't really exchange Porsches. They just bought theirs from him at a discount. He created a dealership and he ended up with a, with a million dollar plus capital. He had not one point of interest and he had not one point of equity he gave out for doing it. It's a pretty cool concept. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What if you could hire A players for your business based not just on resume, but on intangible job skills like creativity, resourcefulness, flexibility, and even the reviews and feedback of those they've previously worked with? With the power of LinkedIn Jobs, our sponsor for this week, you have all of that at your fingertips and much more. So you can find the perfect person for the job every time. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills that you're looking for so that you can find the right person fast. Because of the rich data sets and huge collection of talented individuals on LinkedIn, LinkedIn Jobs gets you in front of everybody with the skills and qualifications you want to hire while saving you the time, energy, and headache of having to do it all yourself. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. It's incredible. I love those kinds of stories. There's so many from the archives and the the war stories that you have. I'd love to hear if another one comes to mind, another kind of example sure. of that really innovative lateral connecting the yeah. dots and thinking in a different way. Yeah, I had a friend. I don't think he's dead. I just don't have contact with him anymore. And uh, it was pretty cool. I'll tell you a couple of cool ones that are all true. Years and years ago, he realized that the Rose Bowl, the big stadium that they played the Rose Bowl in and that UCLA plays in was not being used something like three weekends out of the year except for at key times. And so he went and he negotiated with them to get the rights to use it to create a flea market. He knew nothing about flea markets. But once he got the agreement, he went to the biggest operator of formal flea markets in the country and he flipped the agreement to them for a cash upfront and a percentage of all the revenue they got from leasing the flea markets. And he got it for, I think, 20 years. That was pretty interesting. Probably one of the, the ones everybody loves is Carnival Cruise. You know what that is. The yep. cruise line that, you know, that's got, I think they own now five or six other cruise lines. I knew the marketing guy when they started and it, the man that started Carnival Cruise had one ship. It was a beat up used ship. The guy was so capital impaired that he could only afford to paint it on one side. He would have to bring it in on the painted side so that people coming on would see it and it would look at least reasonable. It would go out, it would have, I think, 800 rooms and would go out half full every week. And the man who owned it had a brilliant distinction. He realized that every week it was going out half empty and those 400 rooms at that time were worth $800 a week. That's $320,000 worth of buying power down the drain. So he got my friend, who's now deceased, but my friend who was the marketing manager, to go to every kind of radio station, television station, publication, and trade them credit for use on Carnival Cruise in exchange for advertising. But he actually let them have two years to use their credit, but he used his right now. His credits drove all kinds of paid cash people. When anybody from the media used their credits, which he absolutely made possible, but a lot of the media used it as gifts to their employees, bonuses, gifts to their clients. And a lot of the clients would buy second and third rooms. So, the, so they got cash even on the on the utilization of the credits. But when anyone redeemed the credits, the owner of Carnival would charge a $39 surcharge. And that charge covered the incremental cost of the cold cuts for the, you know, for the buffet, the sheets for, because most of them were three-day cruises. And he made money from the excursions, from the gambling. And that's how he built Carnival Cruise. The guy that 
started home shopping and then QVC modeled it was a guy that had a very unsuccessful radio station in a small city in Florida. He literally, very fascinating, couldn't sell advertising so he would trade to merchants for merchandise. And he had all this merchandise and he had to get rid of it. So every Saturday he would do four or five hours of literally an on-air auction to sell all the electric can openers and all the hair dryers and all the, you know, all the pots and pans that he had. And that was the genesis. He started making so much money that he started buying the same kind of timelines and bunches of other radio stations. And then he moved it to television stations. But Mango on and on and on and on. There was a company in Australia, very fascinating. There was a law that you could not do building advertising on the outside of a building downtown because of aesthetics. But there was a guy that was very brilliant. He realized that you could put an ad on the inside of a ground level window. So he bought the rights to do that in an enormous number of buildings. Then he went to the big outdoor advertising company and he sold his rights to them for a big fee plus a piece of all the future advertising. I mean, I go on and on. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a way of thinking. I've got, you know, I mean, the the classic story that people, your group won't be as aware of this, but the story is pretty cool. So years and years ago, an insurance company called Colonial Pen started out with a focus of trying to create group policies, going to organizations, going to associations, going to unions. And they were struggling. They were having a lot of trouble breaking in. And after a couple of years of mediocre performance, one of the very brilliant, brilliant, brilliant directors said, let's look at this differently. If we cannot sell a client, a group, why don't we start our own? And they started an organization called the American Association of Retired People, AARP, so they would have a client. Now AARP has something like 16 or 20 million members. It's a huge revenue source. It's a viable, big, big company, and it produces enormous. Well, they had to divest themselves after about 20 years because they had a monopoly, but Colonial Penn made billions of dollars from it. And I can go on and on, but it's a way of thinking, Matt. So how do you start to train yourself to think that way, to see these gaps and opportunities that are all around us that seem invisible to most people, and yet someone can just pluck an empty parking lot or an empty stadium and turn it into a million-dollar deal? Well, I'll tell you how I am able to do it, and I'll tell you how I've tried to get other people to do it. You know, my skill set comes from two distinctions. One, I've had so many diverse experiences that I can see possibilities, applications, correlations, combinations that I think most people do not get the chance because they're very vertical in their life experiences. So what I've done is two things, you know, and not commercial or crass. We've created programs we sell occasionally, not often, that give them this broad spectrum so they have a context. But what I tell to most people is spend time traveling outside whatever you do, whatever you're interested in. Study how other businesses, industries operate. Study other areas of interest. Study how other people market. Study other product service offers. Get all your friends and your neighbors and your relatives to send you all the promotional stuff that they get from whatever they're interested in, whatever they're signed up on, whatever their industry is. On Saturdays, if you live in a decent city, go to the convention hotels and walk around. There's normally 10 or 15 different events going on, ask the people at the door if you can walk in for hour, watch and expand your horizon. Start learning what you don't know because that's where your opportunity lies. And in business itself, very candidly, my skill has always been bringing to an industry that which no one else in the industry has ever been exposed to, sort of the one-eyed man in the land of the blind. I would just borrow success approaches from all kinds of outside industries combine them, and then introduce them to an industry where everybody is doing the same thing the same way. 
And my client gets outrageous advantage because nobody else thinks that way. But it's a thought process that has to be cultivated. One time we did a program that we called How to Think Differently. Actually, it was called Do Something Different. And every week for 13 weeks, we gave an assignment to the people. Very simple. First assignment was somewhat like this. Whatever your regimen or protocol is, Matt, when you awaken in the morning, you get up, almost everybody has to go to the bathroom. That's natural. Then you have a sequence you normally follow. Maybe you take a shower. Maybe you turn on the coffee. Maybe you watch CNN, Fox, MSNBC, Bloomberg. Then maybe you read a paper. Then you get dressed. Then if you don't work at home, you work at home, you go to your computer and you go on Facebook or you go to whatever you do. Or if you go to work, you probably take either a service, can be an Uber, can be train, bus, or you take the fastest, most expedient form of transportation, you know, the the highway. We would say change your regimen for a week. Get up and obviously if you're, you know, if your bladder is full, go to the bathroom, but do everything else different. If you normally have coffee first, take your shower first. If you normally get dressed last, get dressed first. If you normally read the paper last, read it you know, in the middle, if you normally drive down the highway, drive down the side streets and force yourself to break your pattern. And I had lots of things like that we did. It was very profound because the way that you turn on your receptors and your sensors is to break your rigidity, if that makes sense. And we don't even know we have rigidity. That totally makes sense. So start stepping outside of our daily routines and rituals and also borrow broad-based knowledge from different industries and topics and and places and cultivate a broad set of thinking skills so that you can really start to see things in a different perspective than other people see them. Yeah. And you don't have to be brilliant to see what I call making the money connection. You have to have the right sensory capability. And the sensors are only going to turn on as you broaden your understanding of what's possible. And, you know, I force myself, I've been very blessed. It's a little bit challenging, but my consulting practice has never been vertical. I've never done one industry or one category. I take on any kind of an industry, any kind of a a problem that is within the realm of revenue generation, competitive. I don't do operations and I don't do technology because it's not my skill set. But anything else, I usually have enough historic understanding, empirical experience and capacity to uh, adapt, adopt, extrapolate to take it on. But if you don't have anything like that, hoping and praying is not the way to do it. You know, force yourself to be interested in that which has never fascinated you before And there's a great book that is out recently. It's called Range. And it makes the case that in our society today that there are generalists, there are specialists, and then there are synthesis. And the people that will own and rule the business world are the synthesis because they have the diverse capability of handling all the new challenges that have no historic precedent. Specialists only have what they know historically, generalists worse, but synthesis have this broad spectrum of understanding of so many possibilities they can draw from. Funnily enough, we uh, and we'll throw this in the show notes for listeners, but we actually interviewed David Epstein, the the author of Range, a couple weeks ago. And this he really good? Yeah, he was awesome. I'll I'll shoot you a link to the interview too. But I like that because I'm in, in fact, if you'd let me, I'll send it out to my list because it might be very useful. I thought that was, it was a little bit deep psychological, but if you get through the the depth of it, I thought the message was powerful, didn't you? Oh, it was amazing. Well, the funny thing is that this is sort of full circle because I think when we were hanging out in Laguna Beach, you actually told me about range. And then I was like, oh, this book sounds really interesting. And I bought it and read it. And then I was like, this guy's amazing. We got to get him on the podcast. And so we interviewed David and now... Uh, uh, now you get to listen to the interview. So that's, uh, that's pretty funny. Changing gears a little bit. Tell me about greatness. How do you think about greatness? What is it? And how do people sometimes fall short in their pursuit of it? Well, 
I mean, I have a really interesting, I guess I'd call it a character flaw. I get very excited about a concept for a period of time and I develop it and I explore it and I explain it. And then I sort of jettison it off. Somebody said I'm like a intellectual, what do you call it? Gigolo, because I'll have a concept, take it to my room for the night, have my intellectual way with it and then throw it out in the morning. And a couple of years ago, I got very deeply interested in the concept of greatness. I haven't really revisited it for a while, so this will be sort of fun. I got to dust off the intellectual cobwebs. But my conclusion was this. With little exception, every human being is programmed in our DNA to want to be great, unless you have some mental affliction or physical affliction or you know, or birth defect, you really want to be great. You want to be a great entrepreneur, if that's your calling, manager, leader, team member. But you also want to be a great friend. If you have children, father, if you have significant other, whether it's lover or, you know, partner, you want to be a great at whatever you do as far as hobbies. And yet more than the vast, something like 98% of people are mediocre at and there's like eight or seven categories I identified. And the question is why? Why is somebody who definitely and maybe not desperately, but inherently wants to not be mediocre? You don't come home at the end of a day from work, whether you're leading, following, managing, and say to yourself, self, I went and spent eight or 10 hours and I did a mediocre job. You don't go out selling and come back and say, I was really crappy today. You don't go to your loved one and say, honey, I did a really shitty job today. I didn't do well, I didn't contribute well, I didn't perform well, I didn't advance any attributes in my job. You don't come home and purposely be boring or uninterested or non-contributing. You don't let your kids run awry. You don't purposely be a crappy friend and yet, Sadly, if you look at it, the vast majority of people are exactly that in every category. So I ask myself, why and what does it take to change? And very, very delightfully, and this might be a great conclusion to our discussion for today, I came up with four very wonderfully clear-cut answers. And if you can squarely reconcile yourself to them, you can transform yourself in any or all of these eight or so categories. So The first reason that people are not great in any of these categories, career, job, business, relationship, parenting, friendship, skill set, is that nobody really takes the time to help them see what greatness looks like, both in your brain, as executed, as expressed, and then what it is like validated when it's received by the other side. It's not that hard, but if you don't have no reference model, how are you going to get there? Just accidentally? And that's very, you know, if I say, okay, I'm go climb Mount Everest, and you have no reference model of how to do it, how not to, you know, to asphyxiate or get, you know, oxygen deprivation, how to do it, you know, strengthen yourself, you know, how to do it in phases, you think you're really going to do it? Think about it. No. So, First thing is getting a context of what greatness looks like in any and all these categories. Second, maybe five areas, is reconciling yourself to where you are on the continuum against that. So you know what it's supposed to look like. Now you got to say, okay, as an entrepreneur, as a leader, as a manager, as a team member, as a friend, as a partner, as a lover, as a parent, as a, you know, as a hobbyist, as a rock climber as a here's where I am on the continuous so you're not you have to know what I'll call is the gap because it's basically you're looking at personal performance arbitrage really isn't it you're looking at the gap there's another word for it and I'll think of what it is but then you've got to basically figure out what are the different options to get me in each category from here to there And you've got to understand what they are, what they require, the pros and cons of each. And because all one size never fits all in anything, but not even clothes. If you see a woman wearing a one size fits all dress, one woman looks really hot. 
The rest, it's either too tight and ugly, too short, too loose, too long. So you got to figure the right strategy in each category to achieve your goal the safest, the fastest, the easiest, the most predictable. But then, and this is where it gets really interesting, I believe in what I call the logjam event map, or the logjam theory map. The logjam means you've got maybe these eight categories of, let's call, of impaired greatness or greatness deficiency. But one of them is going to have more ultimate impact in opening up the positive flow of the rest than all the rest. If you've got a terrible relationship in your personal life, you probably are not going to be able to achieve, realize, manifest greatness in anything else. Does that make sense? Totally. So you got to figure where the logjam is first. And that may seem divergent, but it's actually very strategically astute. Because once you relieve all that diversionary emotion and energy uh, dissipation, now you can re reshift it to all the other areas. And then you've got to be able to go, you know, what's my first imperative, second impairment, third impairment, imperative, excuse me, not, and well, it could be imperative, impairment and imperatives. And then you systematically, once you've identified the strategy, you work through it. Now, that's the second or the third category. But, and I believe you have, you're married and have children, don't you, Matt? That's right. Okay. So how old are your children? I have an 18-month-old and uh, basically a newborn. Perfect. Okay. So as or when, I don't know because I can't remember. My children are all adults now. They start walking, trying to talk, trying to eat, trying to poop, trying to walk, talk, eat. What else would they be doing? They're not ready to ride a bike yet. Walk, talk, eat, poop, speak. Well, it's the same thing. Usually in the beginning, they are not very effective and they fail. When they're trying to walk, they fall over. When they're trying to poop, they miss the, you know, the, the, the spot or they can't quite get out of their diaper. When they're trying to eat, the spoon may go in their eye or their hair or their chest, but it very rarely initially goes into their mouth. And it, were it not for the parent being their champion, their advocate, their fan, their, their coach, their mentor... Uh, and putting him, standing him back up, putting the spoon back in the right place, taking him and sitting him on the toilet, even though they miss, you know, when they go, hey, 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 saying, that's great. And then repeating certain things so they have a better reference. They would never gain proficiency, would they? No. Same thing in this. You need to be able to, because the first time you try to execute anything that you might understand intellectually, the statistical probability is you will F it up big time transactionally. So you need someone to believe in you. What I call a sword and a shield can be a mentor, coach, a support person, but somebody that is going to hold not only you responsible, but going to be there for you throughout the transitional process until you achieve if not mastery, a level of greater proficiency. And what happens in all these eight areas is it's not linear. It, with each level of improvement and progression, the glory, the wonderment, the ecstasy of this is asymmetric. It keeps multiplying exponentially. So you keep growing in your ability, growing in your quality, growing in your proficiency, growing in your lovingness, growing in your bonding with your family, growing in your parenting at levels that you can't even imagine until and unless you go through that. Does that help? Yeah, that's great. Such a good breakdown. And the point about how the first time you do anything, you're almost guaranteed to fail. Yet so many people try something once, beat themselves up and then give up. I know we're running out of time. One question we like to ask everybody is, as a wrap up is, for listeners who want to take action on something we've talked about today, it could be any of the topics or themes, what would be one action item that you would give them as a, as a next step to start implementing some of these ideas in their lives? I'll give you a couple uh, suggestions. It's not meant to be self-aggrandizing. We have a website that as of today, it's going to be changed, but right now you don't even have to opt in and it's got an enormous amount of stuff on it that doesn't 
sell anything. And it's, you know, again, you can get it, you know, to leave your name, your email. There's a whole collection of stuff on it about being preeminent. There's a whole collection of stuff on greatness. There's a document called the Abraham Mind Shift Challenge. There are two videos on relational capital. I would encourage people to get them, or if you want to get the files and put them on your site, I have no problem with that. It doesn't matter if we're not doing them to monetize it. That's the first thing. Second is start committing yourself in terms of nonlinear thinking to start every day when you meet somebody from another domain. Ask them questions. Learn about what they do, how they do it, how they monetize, how they operate, what they read. Ask them if they would forward to you some of the things they read. Start going online and just randomly visiting things you're not interested in. Every time you do that, make a note of one distinction that you gain that you've never thought about that might have value or be interesting. Start really looking at biographies of people who are nonlinear thinkers. I mean, breakthrough thinking and its truth is nothing more than taking elements that are always there and recombining them in new ways. People like myself, Tony Robbins, were not original thinkers. We are original synthesizers. We just take stuff that's always been there and put them together. Also, and this is old because I have to think about new applications, but We used to always talk about the fact that most breakthroughs do not come from the industry you are in. The easiest analogy, fiber optics, which redefined the whole era of telecommunication, did not come from telecommunication. It came from aerospace and was borrowed. Federal Express built their whole business by using what the Federal Reserve Bank was using, which is called the hub and spoke method for clearing checks overnight. The ballpoint pen or or roll-on deodorant, one of them borrowed the technique from each other, and I can go on and on and on and on, but you'll never get breakthroughs if you don't break out of the rigidity of your limited paradigm, and that's why I I call it having, giving yourself a paradigmectomy. Well, Jay, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing all this wisdom, all this knowledge. For listeners who want to check you out, find all of your stuff online. Obviously, we'll put some things in the show notes. Where can they find you? Well, I mean, we, you know, it depends. If you just want to find uh, the resources, which are there in contribution, abraham.com, very easy, abraham.com. And the place to go is the 50 Shades site. And there's some cool stuff. I think there's eight or 900 hours of stuff, audio, video, and there's thousands of pages. And as I said, right now, It'll change soon, but there's no opt-in required. Not one item sells anything. If you're serious about a business that's very large and can be grown, and you're a serious entrepreneur making serious money, running a serious business, and you want it to be seriously better, then you know there's a way to contact me on the website. But thank you very much. And if you want to do more, I'm happy. And I hope this has value. And I will be happy to take your interview of Epstein and put it on my site and reference you. And if you send this to my office, we'll put it out for you to a podcast. Okay. Awesome. Well, Jay, thank you so much. We'll definitely follow up on the Epstein interview and we'll let you know when this episode airs. I know you got to get to a meeting. So thank you very much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you, man. Thank you so much for listening to the science of success. We created the show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand 
our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com. Sign up right at the homepage. Or if you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 